your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back once again to the Blocking Charge Cast, an off-topple Empire production, as we continue our season preview slash first couple game recaps. Look, we intended to get all this stuff done earlier, but what are you going to do? Uh, joining me today is a familiar voice on the podcast, our own Thumpasaurus slash Illinois partisan. I'm Thumpasaurus this morning. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean... Yeah, we usually talk about football, but football is a, I'm in a weird place because usually this weekend I'm, um, you know, dreading the inevitable loss to Northwestern, whereas now there's just there's a game against Ohio State that may or may not be played. And even if, you know, we get crushed, like, you know, worrying about playing Ohio State, it's kind of like worrying about like global warming. It's like, yeah, it, it, it sucks, but kind of there's not really much that I can do about it. And, yeah. you know, it's going to come for us eventually. And there's just no, you know, there's no systemic pressure for it to change. And it's just going to be this thing that just kills us all. Um, but at the end of the day, what good is worrying about it? Whereas like Northwestern, it's kind of like, you know, getting fired from your job, losing to Northwestern. Cause it's just like, wow, just no excuse like for yeah. this yeah. bullshit here. This is just ridiculous. And it's like, how is it ever going to get better now? So so glad to have that one replaced. For sure. And it is definitely, there's a Freaky Friday element to this because, of course, this week I'm the one who has to look forward to the inevitable, you know, 20 to 14 defeat at the hands of Northwestern. <laughs> I'm kidding. My team's never going to score 14 against that defense. So <laughs> we'll, we'll stick to happier subject. And we're covering really some more, more of the contender's projected contenders at least in the conference in this episode we're going to begin with the michigan wolverines who have a couple of data points on the board now so we have a few and that, that's going to be helpful for one year for juan howard of course if you're a michigan basketball fan right now the whole thing is about the future you're, you're Along curious the same how good ballpark as our reputation maybe this football thing is just not for um maybe it's just not for us <laughs> so that's an entirely possible, and we saw in that so they had a relatively easy win over Bowling Green, or favored in the preseason, I believe, to win the MAC. Now the MAC is a pretty weak mid-major conference in basketball. I mean, even in the Midwest, the Horizon League is typically better, but still, if you're if you're easily winning over a preseason conference favorite with as many new pieces as Michigan had, you feel pretty confident about that. So. Well, in the, in this stage, in this stage, it's the kind of thing where the only thing anybody really notices is if there's a top twenty five matchup, or if you step on a Lego, right? You, you know, yeah. you, you'll lose to one of these teams. You know, everybody forgets the times when you just narrowly escape a team that you were favored by thirty against. It's kind of as long as you win. Yeah, well, because there's so many data points in the basketball season. Even if you have kind of a like, wow, that shouldn't have been so close type of game. The next one's in three days. So, uh, yeah. And again, it's not move. a loss. Yeah, so you can very easily move past that. So obviously, the big offseason questions for Michigan were, how do they replace Xavier Simpson, and how do they replace John Teske? 
They got a pretty solid answer to the first one, and we thought this would probably be the case, but Columbia transfer Mike Smith looked really impressive in his debut, capable both shooting and penetrating, setting other guys up. So you can basically write Smith's name in pen as their full-time point guard this year. They'll have to answer that question again next year because Smith is only supposed to have one year of eligibility. But again, as we mentioned, who knows what eligibility even means anymore? <laughs> so you could be looking at a potential two-year solution there, I guess. But anyway, Smith looked really good, as did his fellow transfer, the Wake Forest product, Chandy Brown. I don't think anyone expects him to shoot at quite that rate going forward. But those two guys coming in to go alongside Eli Brooks and Franz Wagner their backcourt situation should be just fine. Um, up front, they are going to, it seems like they're going to be going with a tandem at center for a while. Austin Davis, who we knew was going to be the holdover from last year. Uh, but Hunter Dickinson also looked pretty impressive for a freshman big man. Not the only impressive debut from a big man in the conference this week, but he's going to be their longer term play there. The question really is just how long, is it before he kind of nudges Davis back into a small complimentary role and takes the bulk of the minutes. So again, this is one game. You don't want to get carried away here, but you couldn't really be much more satisfied as a Michigan fan with how the new pieces looked in terms of fitting in, especially with what they've got returning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the two returning names that particularly matter are Isaiah Livers and Franz, Franz Wagner. Um, you know, Livers, of course, missed a lot of time last year. Um, also, the, whenever I, I see that dude, I just, I remember that he has a sick Goku tattoo. Um, and <laughs> so that makes him very easy to root for. But uh, yeah, you know, if, if it's, it's really more of a matter of, um, being able to have pieces around livers that uh, that are going to allow him the opportunities to score. Um, I don't know that he can necessarily step up into the Xavier Simpson role, but uh, he certainly, I think, would be comfortable as the primary scorer, just maybe not with the volume that they used Simpson with. Uh, the question is going to be, uh, this is, and it's always difficult to evaluate in these non-conference games against teams that aren't really in the same uh, stratosphere talent-wise, is, how is how are the big men going to play? Because you can evaluate guards reasonably, you know, on their shooting, how quick do they look and stuff. But the big men, it's hard to evaluate unless they. It's hard to evaluate big men, especially for the Big Ten, unless they've gone up against somebody that's, you know, of a similar stature. So that's going to be where I think you're going to see the inexperience is just uh, in the ability to defend the post. Uh, once they get into larger competition. Yeah, and that obviously, like, that was the downside of Austin Davis all of last year. He had a surprisingly effective post-offense out of him, but he was a turnstile defensively, and so they, especially if John Teske got in foul trouble, they were really vulnerable down low. And Dickinson was going to be more important almost as a defensive presence as a freshman, which is a very difficult thing to put on a kid, even somebody as talented as he is. So... We'll see how that looks. I mean, obviously, Bowling Green, despite being a preseason favorite in their conference, is not a team that's going to pound you down low all that effectively. Um, the other thing that will be interesting to see here is the minutes usage. I'm looking at the box score right now, <clears throat> and they played 
30 plus minutes out of three guys in a debut. And, you know, granted, this is a 14 point win at the final margin, but they were in control most of the second half, but still opted to play 35 minutes for Livers, 31 for Mike Smith, 32 for Eli Brooks, which is a little bit surprising. Um, But obviously that kind of minute load is not going to be sustainable for so many of your starters over the course of the season. It was a little surprising they didn't go, for example, Zeb Jackson only got four minutes. They only played Terrence Williams for seven. And those guys are freshmen. You're not expecting huge contributions from them right away. But even Brandon Johns only played 14 minutes in this game. And if they're going to play more of a two-guy rotation with your traditional bigs, with Austin Davis and Hunter Dickinson, then obviously John's natural place is going to be in giving Livers a bit of a break, but they didn't really use him much for that. So, well, versus versus that. Beeline, I'm not really that familiar with Howard's like you know in game coaching style. Is he more of a is he more of a momentum kind of a, a motivator guy, you know, or, or whatever? Because in that case, I could see you know just wanting to keep your foot on the gas to establish this, you know, and just make sure that it doesn't become a game, but. If I'm a Michigan yeah. fan, I'm trying not to read in too much to the fact that Livers played 35 minutes in this game because otherwise, if you extrapolate that, then we're entering Tom Thibodeau territory. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not saying that that's gonna that that's necessarily proof of this is. But if you're looking, if you're mining and looking for things to keep an eye on over the next couple of games before Big Ten play starts, then that's just something I figured you keep an eye on. And you know, as far as Howard's in-game style goes. Well, we certainly know he's not afraid to step onto the court during play, for example. That's a thing he's done. So that's kind of what I got out of his first season in terms of his on-court demeanor. But um, they te- they do work a lot more through the post than Beeline ever did. So David, that, Dick- that Davis-Dickinson rotation is going to be of bigger importance than it would normally be. You're going to have to grow up fast. Yeah, but again, it, he looked up for the task in, in this game, and we'll keep an eye on him going forward. So that's about enough said about that. We'll, we'll turn, since you brought him up earlier in the context of what we're going to see on the gridiron this weekend, we'll talk now about Ohio State, another team, and there's a few of them in the conference this year, that's going to look very different than they did last year. So we expect this kind of roster churn from, you know, Nebraska but programs like Michigan, Ohio State, you don't really think of them as going out and shopping in the mercenary, you know, halls of college basketball. But here they are with a couple of very high impact transfers because of really sort of an unexpected disruption last year. And Grant, like the DJ Carton situation is one thing. That's that feels like kind of a one-off. You don't want to read too much into that. But they had a cut. They've had a couple other guys go. They're bringing in a few pieces. It was always going to be interesting to see what they looked like with sort of new, not just complimentary guys, but with the Wesson brothers gone, these transfers are centerpieces now for Chris Holtman. Well, this is, this is a bit like, um, yeah, I'm going to try not to be too heavy on these analogies, but this is a bit like when a, uh, you know, when a, when a, a, not necessarily a new company, but a company that's been around, uh, is making waves recently, gets a lot of, of, of good press and their stock is going places, and then all of a sudden there's like an analyst downgrade, and then there's just no more positive news, and it just it just the 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 the, the price peaks, and then it just starts going down and going down, and then the volume dries up, and it's like, wait a second, what happened? I thought we were on our way to the moon here. 
Um, <laughs> right? It certainly seemed because you had not only Ohio State seeming to emerge as you know a top twenty-five program, but it was with some fairly young guys. Yeah, and we again now, being that we're at the end of this opening week, we have a data point in terms of a game from Ohio State. Now, this is against Illinois State, not exactly the most robust opponent, but what we saw from this new rotation they've got is just assuming the transfer from Cal is going to perhaps be the focal point of the offense, led them in scoring. Uh, after sitting out a year and transferring, you always wonder how a guy's going to fit in. We get to Michigan State in a minute. We'll talk about a couple of the transfer that they brought online as well. But Suing was a guy who was going to have to carry a lot of the scoring load for them this year because there's a lot of shots available. Um, and this is also, you know, over the course of his season when he sat, he had to undergo surgery. So not only is he not playing, but he's really not working out at all. <laughs> over, I have an important question about Justice Suing. Uh, what is his major? And if it's not pre-law, why not? If he's screwing up if it's not criminal justice or, as you say, poli-sci, you know, something along those lines. Well, yeah, because he could start his career suing people and then become a justice. <laughs> um, yeah, so in terms of uh, in terms of other guys carrying over from last year, they really had three returning contributors that are going to be key to their success this year. So there's C.J. Walker, who in my mind was one of the more underrated players in the conference last year. The guy who took over the point guard position after Carton left the team and was extremely good. I mean, he not always the most efficient shooter, but there were times when, you know, especially if Caleb Weston was in foul trouble, which still happened even last year, Walker had to carry more of the scoring load than might've been ideal. He had a lot of younger guys around him, but he comes back and he's going to be very important for them. They're expecting, and it looks like they might get a big step forward out of EJ Liddell, who I know is a sore point for you. Uh, but he looked very good last night as well, and still very. I'm not gonna lie, I'm pretty over it at this point. Oh yeah, it's, that, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's nice to have success to point to. It is, although I'm I'm contemplating him as the power forward on Illinois' current team, and my goodness, would that be something? Uh, so at times last year, they had to play Liddell at the center again if they had because Kyle Young was hurt for a while. And if Weston was in foul trouble, they didn't have anybody else up front. So he looks like he's taken something of a step forward. He's going to be a guy that gets a lot more shots this year. And then Dwayne Washington is a guy who's been a streaky shooter, but a capable two way guard in that he plays pretty solid defense. He's a guy that I keep an eye on because despite an impressive debut from Foster Lawyer for Michigan State this year, he, Washington was a guy out of Grand Rapids who I have to assume Tom Izzo could have had. And so when their careers are over, it's going to be hard for me not to mull that kind of thing over and compare, like, what did they end up being? You know, it's one of those road-not-traveled sort of situations. So we've seen, again, that suing is going to be kind of the focal point, the star – I don't think to the extent that they've, I mean, it feels like for most of the past decade, especially when Thad model was still there, Ohio state had this MO where they basically had the guy on offense who would score 20, 25 points a game. And the rest of them were kind of just there to fill in the gap. 
So, yeah, you know, when we think about how they orient their team now under Holtman, it's certainly different than you would have in the Thad Mata era where they often had a one sort of focal point of the offense, not just guys like D'Angelo Russell, but even guys like Deshaun Thomas, LaQuentin Ross. It's not going to be as much of a thing anymore. This year, it feels like Justice Suing probably ends up being their leading scorer, but not by a huge margin like you saw in the past. They're going to be a little bit more balanced. They'll work through Suing, through Walker, through Washington in some games. They'll get some post scoring out of Liddell, and they'll be a lot more balanced for it. Well, I mean, we haven't seen Chris Holtman land the kind of big fish that propelled Ohio State to deep tournament runs under Mata, like a like a Greg Oden or a Sullinger or one of these type of guys. But he did land a solid, you know, core of you know roughly top fifty neighborhood kids. So it's almost to an extent like he he diversified their bonds. But of course. It remains to be seen if that's going to produce the kind of upside, um, you know, how that's going to translate versus what they had going on in the past. Because we were talking about before we started this uh, podcast, the Big Ten this year seems like it's going to be pretty starkly divided into uh, the tournament teams and the other guys, and that there's going to be a pretty big drop off. Um, The middle is not going to be as mushy. It's kind of going to be this upper class you know, varying degrees of of elite, if you will, uh, guys that are going to fight for the conference title, guys that are <clears> going to go toe to toe with those teams, and then kind of everybody else. Uh, what camp do you think Ohio State falls into? I think Ohio State finds themselves on the contending side of the line. Um, and part of this is just because of continuing faith in Chris Holtman, which again, last year was disappointing, but well, in a large extent, for reasons outside of his control, and that he was he that was going, always going to be their big transition year because it was the year when Thad Mata's final lost recruiting class would have been seniors. That was always when that roster gap was going to catch up to them. And then they had the situation again with Carton leaving abruptly midseason. They got transferred out of Alonzo Gaffney as well, so they they were shorthanded. That's really about all it was. And they still remember got off to an incredible start to the season. I think kind of verified a lot of people's trust in them. I think they'll find themselves on the right side of that line. I don't think they're going to be contending for the conference title seriously, but I would expect them to finish somewhere in that five, six, seven range where they're not in the conference title picture. They're probably a couple games out of it, but they're not going to be easy meet the way that a few of the teams at the bottom of the table will end up being. Well, and their schedule is kind of rough. They got, they only have, well, they have Northwestern twice. They got Nebraska once. They got Minnesota once. And they've got Illinois, Michigan State, and Iowa twice. Um, they, they, here, here, to wit, they end their season uh, at home against Michigan, at Michigan State, and then at home versus Iowa and Illinois. That's, I mean, that's, that's a really tough way to end it. It is. And every team that we've talked about, basically, if we look at the schedule, you see something, you see a stretch like that. With the exception, I think, of Wisconsin, who had a pretty well distributed schedule, whose difficult games were broken up. Imagine that Wisconsin with a favorable schedule. But I was going to say that's not the presses. <laughs> yeah. Most of the other teams, even the ones at the top of the table, are going to have at least a three, four, five game stretch where it is just absolutely brutal. And that's just the nature of playing in the Big Ten this year. If you're at the top of the table, obviously you get the benefit of not having to play yourself, but. <laughs> 
there's still going to be, you know, for a team in even Wisconsin's position, you still have to play Iowa, Illinois, Michigan State. There's going to be, there's a lot of good teams at the top of the table. And if you're further down, it gets, yeah, it can get very difficult in a hurry. Again, we talked about Nebraska and Northwestern both having the possibility of starting with seven or eight game losing streaks before they have a game they're even realistically going to be in. So what the shit is this? Do they not have a game against Maryland? Probably do. And if you're looking at the kind of schedule I've been seeing, it just Maryland blends in because they're another team with a red logo (laughs) that I'm sure they're in there somewhere. Control F, Maryland. I don't know. I don't see him. It's got to be a mistake or something. I mean, we're we're playing a 20 game conference schedule. There's no way they don't play Maryland. Um, Let me pull up Maryland's schedule. Well, now you've got me curious because Uh, Maryland's schedule does not have Ohio State on it. Really? Okay. Wait. Uh, hold on. What? Hold on. Hold on a second. That's we just find a glitch in the matrix or something here. Hold on. Hold on. And 2020, 2021. All right. All right. All right. Purdue, Rutgers, Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota, Penn State, Rutgers, Northwestern, Illinois, Wisconsin, Purdue, Michigan State. No, they play them on February 8th, according to the thing I'm looking at. Huh. Um. Just the one, but they. Well, play that in- makes sense because both of the schedules that I've seen, I, I, I was looking at. Uh, Maryland's on Google's and Ohio State's on ESPN, and they have uh, they have these weird conspicuous gaps uh, in the second week of February, early in the second week of February. So that's probably where it is. It's a bizarre thing for multiple places to have left out, though. I wonder if one of them's plagiarizing off the other, and if so, who it is. Yeah, well, I, or, or I wonder if this is just a thing where, like, you know, not all of the official outlets are willing to to call this. They've got. You know, they still it hasn't necessarily passed the journalistic standards for publication at every major news outlet just yet. The idea that Maryland will play Ohio State in basketball. This is at this point a developing situation. We don't have all the facts available and we just want to make sure that we're being responsible journalists here. Big Ten Board of Canvassers has not yet certified the scheduling of that game, so we can't officially call it. Sorry, guys. That's just how it is. We got to go with the information we have. So, anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, there's no smooth way to transition away from that, so we're just going to start talking about a different team as though that whole thing didn't happen. Now we'll move to the part where it's going to be difficult for us to keep this appropriately short because we're talking about our own teams. We'll start with mine. Um, Michigan State. A very interesting offseason for them because on the one hand, they do have a lot of guys coming back from a conference champion team last year. They do have deep talent and experience. But on the other hand, the two guys that they're losing, who both ended up second round draft picks this year, you're talking about the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten in Xavier Tillman. And you're talking about uh, second team All-American in Cassius Winston, who has been the face, the heart, the soul of this team for a couple of years now. How do you replace those two gigantic pieces? How do you reconfigure everything? You, you've got multiple guys with NBA aspirations. You've got a couple of talented freshmen coming in. How is this all going to look? Well, we got answers to some of those questions in their first game against Eastern Michigan. With the caveat that it's it's important not to read too much into some of these things because Eastern is kind of a middle of the road at best smack team. I think that feels fair to say. And they also play a zone. So first thing, and the thing that MSU fans, I think we're waiting to see most is what do they do at point guard? Because they had Rocket Watts, who was a freshman last year, but was really more of a combo guard. They played him off the ball more than they played him on. They had Foster Lawyer, who is a junior now, but has been a backup to this point. 
some pretty obvious physical limitations. Like he's just not the kind of athlete you usually see at point guard at Michigan State or really in the Big Ten, if we're being totally honest. And then they have an incoming freshman in A.J. Hogard, who is also viewed as a combo guard. So they named Foster Lawyer a captain. He got the start. He scored a career-high 20 points against Eastern, including hitting six out of 10 three-pointers. The reason I hesitate to read too much into that and declare you know, Foster Lawyer for Naismith is because Eastern does play a zone, so they're going to let you shoot, and they're not going to apply the kind of ball part. I mean, they used a half-court trap a couple times, but they're not really applying the kind of ball pressure that Lawyer has struggled to deal with on offense in the past, and they didn't have the kind of point guard that was really going to pick on him and break him down defensively. That said, Lawyer did look a lot better defensively. He's clearly worked on his body a little bit, but I wonder how long I mean like I said there's going to be matchups this year in the Big Ten where the question is for example against Illinois who does I or who does Foster Lawyer guard it sure ain't going to be Io Desunmu so do you want to put him on the likes of a Trent Frazier or an Adam Miller if he's in the lineup those are both mismatches waiting to happen but I mean here's the matchup that I'm most excited about for Foster Lawyer is against Justice Suing because when you see when you get Lawyer (laughs) Suing on the same court Right then, essentially, you're gonna get you're gonna get this whole thing thrown out. And if if he's guarding Justice Suing, something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. I could see like a, maybe an, a handful of individual plays if they if they decide to switch, then that could happen. But that's again, you have to figure in that fa- in that sort of instance, you're gonna like suing over a lawyer. So hey, <laughs> um, <laughs> you have an interesting situation down low as well, and that they've got this. Endless stream of bodies who would end up coming out as the starting center. Marcus Bingham got the start and he looked much improved. So the past, he's always, he's had a few of these, he always has the impressive moment in the game where it's like, wow, that block was incredible. But offensively, he's been very limited. If he's not dunking it, he's basically missing three pointers in the past. But against this zone that Eastern used, he looked like a much better passer. I think he had like four or five assists um, working the baseline against that zone. And so he looks like the the cerebral part of his game has come a long way in the offseason. And he's also, again, continued to He's one of those guys who came in. He's like six foot ten, got absolute dust mops for arms. But when he got to campus, he was probably like a buck sixty if I was being generous or realistic. And so they've him now being a junior, they've been working for like two straight years, like just eat all the there's like stuffing food at like eat the fuck like eat. And he's he's one of those guys that doesn't put on weight, which I mean, God, what an incredible life to live. But anyway, he finally he's definitely put on some strength in the upper body. This was not the greatest rebounding effort for Michigan State, especially against a zone. They got some offensive boards. Honestly, he's not going to have to carry the whole rebounding load, but we've always known in the past, Tom Izzo is only going to play you if you rebound. So he got as many minutes as he did was an encouraging sign for his step forward. I mean, he's the sort of guy where if he ever plays up to his ceiling, he's going to be a first rounder, but there's a pretty good chance he never gets there just because of where he was when he came in needing a lot of work, but he's put in some of that work. So those are the two guys that really jumped out as possible solutions. They do have a potential issue in what they're doing with Rocket Watts because him coming off the bench, you know, I thought, and I believe I said in our end of season recap that, MSU's best team this year was going to be some version of Rocket Watts being the starting point guard playing like 25 to 30 minutes a night. 
We did not see that in the first game. That's not to say it'll never happen, but he's coming off the bench. When he did come in, he was pretty clearly pressing. I mean, his shot selection was not great last year anyway, but there is some turnover issues. Um, They're going to need to find some way to get him to accept his current role, which is you're coming off the bench. You're not shooting 20 shots a game and we need you to set other guys up. If he, if he just does what is asked of him for now, his talent is naturally going to carry him into a bigger role. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the two guys who sat out for a year plus. Um, It was great to see Josh Langford out there looking basically like his old self, um, a knockdown shooter from range, got in, he was a capable defender and got in there for some rebounds where, you know, you always, especially guys with lower body injuries, when they get back in there, it's like, please just land normally, please let everything go well. It did. And he looks absolutely fine. Didn't play with any hesitation. Joey Hauser pretty clearly was feeling some rust as well. Not because he was injured, but he just had to sit out. Um, Threw a couple of passes directly to Tom Izzo on the bench. And, you know, that Izzo's always had a little bit of the kabuki in his reactions. And, you know, (laughs) certainly saw this as well. Because on the second one, he catches it. And he just kind of like puts his head down with the ball in his hands. Like, Joey, I I know I'm open. But (laughs) I'm not the the first read on that play kind of situation. In general, man, you, you ask at the beginning of this segment, you know, how, how does Michigan State replace, you know, these 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 guys like uh, Xavier Tillman, Cassius Winston? Well, I mean, the answer is perfectly frank. Same way that you replace guys like uh, Miles Bridges, same way you replace Draymond Green, same same way you replaced, uh, you know, all, all these teams where it seems like, wow, this is a, a, a generational team that's got guys that are not only really talented, but also have all these years in the system. That happens for Michigan State every few years. So that's a lot of credit to to Izzo. It's, it's every few years it seems like, wow, we really are uniquely positioned this year. But then at the end of the day, it's only going to be a, a, another couple of years before you find yourself building towards that team again. Yeah, and it this is – honestly, Michigan State's in not a dissimilar situation from where Michigan was, where we mentioned, you know, you've got these pretend, these unbelievably bright future recruiting classes coming in, especially if Amani Bates does end up playing in college. I mean, the potential there is just incredible. So it's kind of, especially with the way last season ended, it's kind of hard not to be like, okay, well, can we just sim through this season and get to what's coming? But they still have a very good team on their hands where you've got, depending on how the situation goes, everyone seems to think Aaron Henry is going to go for the draft after this year. And he looked really good, by the way. He only scored a few points, but he's taken a big step forward as a facilitator. He's probably the best perimeter defender in the Big Ten. And He's gonna so he's a guy that's probably gonna go. A lot of people make that attribution for Joey Hauser too. And there's some belief that Rocket Watts could explore the draft waters as well. So you could be losing three guys to the draft, plus Langford as a senior. Like it, I want to enjoy these guys while they're here because there's a lot to like about the team that they have. But yeah, it's it's difficult not to look too far ahead. So that being oh, and the fun, other thing that's the other thing that's very typical about Michigan State, right? The other thing that just it, it keeps uh-huh. repeating itself is the the you know the obligatory two top ten games before you start the Big Ten. Yeah, why not? Let's you know, especially in a season where you're you're normal because in in the one year where we don't have to play Duke in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, like no, actually we're just gonna play them in another tournament thing. So we're still gonna you know we there still is have no the, escape from Duke. Still have the opportunity to lose to them by twenty in the first couple weeks of the season. Can't wait. It's just you know. That's what cancel that game. They'll find you in the postseason. Right. Well, and you know. Duke will play Michigan State. This is an eternal truth. If we can get it out of the way now, I'd much rather do that than risk playing him in the tournament when you've got 
once again, another round of blue chippers. And by then they're likely to be better than they are now. Just get it out of the way <laughs> and hope that we don't run into them when it really counts. Notwithstanding the fact that taking down the Zion Williamson team was right up there with beating UConn in 2009 with the most satisfying games of my fandom. I mean, it's, I think that's probably one and two is Darrell Summers posterizing Stanley Robinson in that game in Detroit. And then knocking Zion out of the tournament and causing the entire national media to gnash their teeth about Duke being expelled from the tournament. But anyway. America's team was Michigan State that night. Yeah, yeah. Whether <laughs> the media's team was Duke, the, the country's team was Michigan State. And so, as you said, the typically difficult schedule, they've got a non-conference game with Notre Dame tomorrow. We're recording this on Friday the 27th. So that'll be an interesting test. Notre Dame's certainly not the kind of challenge that Virginia and Duke will be so they play three ACC teams before the middle of December if they get two and one out of that whatever that combination is I would be reasonably satisfied and feel pretty good because it would mean that they've for one thing solidified for sure their point guard situation I don't know if Frost Warrior bringing it up against Duke is going to work but I guess we'll see uh, and it means that they've solidified kind of their pecking order of in terms of who gets the shots on offense well enough to beat a couple of pretty good teams. So if they get through then one, I'll feel okay about getting into the big 10 schedule. Oh, cool. I'm, I'm searching. But we awkward silenced. That was great. It was a perfectly comfortable silence where I'm just sitting there contemplating like at some point the shoe has to drop for Duke cheating. It's coming. The governor of Louisiana had to issue a formal written apology to him for the, the slander upon the honor of his family. So <laughs> Just, Please yeah, don't yeah, leave yeah. us for Michigan. Um. Yeah. Well, I wonder. I mean, is there even like I wonder if LSU is the kind of job that you leave for another one because you got to think like in addition to paying his players, like he's got to be getting some supplemental income for himself, doesn't he? I don't know. I don't know how that kind of thing works. But all right. So we'll wrap up this episode now with finally a happy conversation for you in the context of a preseason and that team was projected to be good we have a couple pieces of evidence albeit of you know relatively low value so far but a couple pieces of evidence that illinois is going to be perhaps better than we expected even with projecting them to win the conference well uh and now we'll get to why i was zoning out because i was when i stepped foot on campus in 2007 right I've always been more of a football <laughs> guy so i asked about you know I asked people, but when I hadn't paid attention to Illinois prior to making my decision to come here, I wasn't a lifer, right? I wasn't raised in an Illini household. Uh, my only college allegiances growing up were was uh, whoever was playing Notre Dame and whoever was playing Michigan. Um, that's kind of all I, I cared about. So I had to I had to get in tune with okay. So football, well, uh, we suck, but there's reason to think that we might be good this year. But don't even pay attention to football because basketball, man, basketball is elite and it's a huge deal and shit. Uh, and now, 13 years later, for the first time, it is finally what I was always told <laughs> that it is, was. How about as this? Big, is as Num big of a deal as you were sold. <laughs> Number eight, Illinois has won their first two games by an average of, a, of about 60 points. And then they will play number two Baylor and go to number nine Duke uh, in the first week of December. Uh, you this, guys take this, Duke for once, because you, you actually yeah. have the team to run right over them, I think. But Well, that's the thing. We're so good, I am jacked to play at Duke. Okay, that's, that's we're in rarefied air here. 
Uh, well, look, if you're gonna if you're gonna go to Cameron, this is the year to do it when they don't have the audience like actively bribing the officials during the game. So that'll be helpful to play them without you know this tiny six thousand person you know practice stadium, basically. So well, I mean, they proved that they can win at Michigan, where uh, you know nobody makes any noise or anything. Right, right. So you've got experience playing in that sort of eerily silent atmosphere. Well, obviously, coming so into the season, the, yeah, the huge story, yeah, the huge story for Illinois and really in the conference was that the two potential NBA draft declarants, Aldisun Mu and Kofi Coburn, both come back. I mean, really, aside from Luca Garza returning to Iowa, I don't think it's even debatable that anyone else in the country got better draft news than Illinois did with those two withdrawing. Um, I thought there was a reasonable chance that Kofi would withdraw only because we kept saying this next year does not look like an NBA ready prospect, um, at least not in the year 2020. No, you know, 2005, in, in, certainly. Yeah, in 1995, he's number one with a bullet. He would have been gone and would have been drafted in the top three at worst. Um, but the thing is, and Look, I don't think this is going to change much this year. He hasn't shown much in the way of a face-up game. So what there was for him to do in terms of improving his draft stock was prove, first of all, that he can guard a little more ver- in a little more versatile fashion. But if he doesn't do that, continue to, to prove his rim-protecting bona fides, which are really good. And offensively, I think if, if Underwood wants to do him the favor, boost his draft stock, and more importantly, convince other guys like him that you can succeed here, what he would do is get him more involved in the pick and roll to show that he can be a pick and roll finisher. Because if you're not a capable shooter or a penetrating ball handler, the way onto the floor in today's NBA is to be a monstrous finisher in the pick and roll game. Basically prove that your Clint Capella is about what he's need, he needs to do to get to a first round pick in the NBA. And Kofi is just, uh, you know, miles more effective as a college player than was Myers Leonard. Why was Myers Leonard taken number 11? Because he's so athletic. He's so, you know, he's he's just built like a like a very large dude, right? And he can fly down the court. Yeah, he was a seven-foot shooting guard. Yeah, so he can fly down the court. So that's the thing. He had all those complementary things. And that's why, that's why he, you know, he ends up as a starter, albeit as a fill-in, you know, for a, for a finals team. Um, Kofi has so much upside, uh, you know, as far as he just needs to round out his game with things that NBA scouts like to see. And so I was hoping, I I really thought, even though I always want him to go get their money, right? Selfishly and unselfishly, I thought it was best for everybody that he comes back. On the other hand, Ayo Dasunmu, I didn't think there was a chance in hell he was going to return for the 2020-21 season. Uh, because... There was there was just no more clutch player maybe in all of college basketball down the stretch in in twenty you know in March of this year. Um, yeah, well, you know when you look at his game, his size and his speed and the way he can get to the rim, he's basically a more reliable three point shot away from being James Harden. Like that's the kind of guy he could be if he become if, if his best version of himself be that kind of ball dominant, high volume shooting massively disruptive offensive juggernaut. That's what he would be. Um, and his defense isn't too shabby either. But of course, really, with an NBA prospect, you're just looking for a guy, for their defense to not be a total liability. Like they, they tend to assume, like, we can coach that up. We'll fix that with some scheme stuff. Um, it's the offensive and stuff it, that gives you the juice. As far as I was concerned, as if Illini fans could possibly love him anymore, 
he released this statement that he was coming back with a video where he all but explicitly said, I am going to play this season for the explicit goal of we're going to win a national title. That is all I care about coming back for this season. And it's more important than taking the money now. He basically said that. And like, oh, my God, build build the statue immediately. Um, I mean, that's as far as uh, as far as a player goes, that's basically your version of bread and circuses like giving up. Yeah. Sacrificing your own dream to come back, pursue glory with your team. Yes. That puts you in a special pantheon of players. Um, you know, for example, like Miles Bridges did something kind of similar and his sophomore campaign certainly did not end the way that MSU fans would have liked, but that he was willing to give it a shot, postpone his own dream and his own glory come back with his college team. That's the kind of thing that sticks with you, whether it works out or not. I mean, we were thinking, especially as he emerged as a freshman, he could be a one and done player and Illini fans were fine with it. He's going to play his third year at Illinois. It's incredible. In addition to him, they also have um, they also have some some new arrivals to replace some departures. Uh, Andres Feliz graduated. Uh, hopefully, he's going to get a contract with uh, somewhere with a path to the league. He, he he wasn't drafted, but I didn't think he would be. Uh, Alan Griffin transferred. I guess there's some drama with uh, with with parents involved in that one. Um, but the 2020 class, I was I was kind of hyping up. Uh, during our blocking charge cast season last year and the returns the early returns are promising adam miller freshman yeah, guard right. seems to be able to just I, I think he probably start right now because he is essentially andres feliz with an outside shot like nobody on this team except trent frazier when he's feeling it yeah and that's that was always going to be something that as an illinois fan you're interested in seeing because Look, Io, despite coming back, is obviously gone after this year. Trent Frazier's a senior as well. So with these two high-profile guard recruits, they're looking at what is life going to be like after Io and Trent are gone. And you've seen, especially from Miller, is that really the future could be now. Uh, I, I think it's completely fair to expect Miller as a sophomore to be every bit, well, maybe not every bit the finisher, but as capable a player as Io DeSumo is. Um, the one thing I think he's a different really... kind of player, though. The, yeah. the the guy I think will step up into that role is Andre Curbelo. He's seemed a little more raw yesterday, but he also he's the he's going to he's the point guard of the future. He he had a couple of dumb turnovers, but you could definitely see why, why I, I, I was definitely felt justified in being so high on his potential because he's a guy that I think I'm hoping by the end of the year he can provide quality minutes in relief of IO and then step up into that role next year because he he's absolutely got that kind of upside. Um, not expecting much from the freshman. Uh, uh, oh my god, I don't even remember. Uh, oh, I think Alex Lieb um, and uh, Coleman Hawkins probably uh, tops out as a bench role player, but there's still some pieces on this team. Remember, Demonte Williams is still around. He's a he's a defensive. He is a clutch defensive player and is also the attitude on this team. And uh, phenomenal, phenomenal shit talker, which is very important. Absolutely. And, and the reason why you are absolutely circling Illinois versus Iowa on the schedule, not just because he figures to be between two of the top three team, three or four teams in the league, but because there be beef. And as we discussed when that whole thing boiled over last year, well, college basketball needs that occasionally. It's not just like, it doesn't have to be a thing where, oh, we have to suspend guys because, oh, they're like, they're actually physically fighting. But like, this is terrible for the game. Let's get some chirping. Let's get some shoving. Yeah, let's get certain, you know, sanctimonious commentators saying, oh, that's just a disgrace. You just hate to sit. No, no. 
us us peasants, us barbarians, we love to see that. And we need to see a little more. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, Monte Williams, uh, another player that I think is is extremely beloved, of course, the son of uh, Line Eye legend Frank Williams, guy out of Peoria, uh, had a few really clutch defensive series at the end of games last year. And then uh, got all, you know, just got all up in McCaffrey's business. Um, that's some great stuff. And I think the one thing that I'm going to agree with the Iowa people on is, oh boy, Illinois, Iowa is absolutely going to be the game of the year in the Big Ten. Um, and everybody should watch it. And it's great that these rosters really seem to hate each other. I mean, Brad Underwood signed one of those Fran McCaffrey triggered posters that people had. I mean, it's, it seems like, <laughs> seems like at the very least on our side, we're leaning into this Iowa thing. And fuck Iowa. Good. I'm glad that we're leaning into that. So to, to wrap up our schedule note here, as you mentioned, they play Baylor in the Jimmy V Classic on December 2nd. That's going to be an excellent game and a really good test of where you are at the moment. A week later, you get Duke in the ACC Challenge. Dragon Rights is like the third most prominent non-conference game you've got. I have no idea if Mizzou is supposed to be any good this year. One assumes they purchased a few new recruits. I want to bury them. <laughs> and then the schedule makers in their negligence have only scheduled one game against Iowa. That's going to be January 29th, Friday night. Circle that one on your calendars for sure. Um, so anyway, hard not to feel really good about where Illinois is. Hard not to feel really good about where a lot of teams in the Big Ten are. I, I'm so hopeful that we somehow, we, we just have a little bit of good fortune and the cancellations and disruptions to this basketball season are minimal. I don't feel good about that prediction right now, just given where the national numbers are. Speaking of, I've read a couple things this morning indicating that tomorrow's Illibuck game could very much be in jeopardy. So we hope that I that... feel very conflicted. <laughs> right. Because on the one hand, you want to see your team play because this year has just taken so much away from all of us. On the other hand, isn't that the one that you're fine with avoiding early? You know, well, for that, me, that, that, game game has, that game has no downside if we lose. Like, so what? Who gives a shit? On the other hand, there is this minuscule possibility that I spend the rest of the week drunk off my ass in celebration. <laughs> so, yeah, it doesn't hurt to be optimistic. And, you know, my own football team plays them the following week. I don't want to see that. Like, that's going to be a, whole, that's gonna be a, a snuff film for four hours. To wrap up <laughs> Illinois here, the only thing that will keep them from a protected seed this year is an act of God that substantially eclipses the COVID pandemic. Source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle, Empire!